Hey there, brewery lovers. Richard here with the DC Beer Show. Uh, I've got uh, a really great guest today. Uh, before I say anything about that, though, I want to remind everybody to go to dcbeer.com. Uh, and at DC Beer on all the social media channels to get the most comprehensive list of events happening in the craft beer scene in the greater metro area, dcbeer.com. So let's dive right in with our guest today, Drew McCormick, who is the Executive Beverage Director at Pizzeria Paradiso. Welcome to the DC Beer Show, Drew. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to talk to you today. Her beer program has been nominated as the best beer program by both the Maryland Restaurant Association and the Restaurant Association of Washington. That is very exciting. And Pizzeria Paradiso has been a top restaurant in the region since it first opened in 1991. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are now five locations, one in DuPont, Georgetown. DuPont's the original, or at Correct. least that was the yep. original location mm-hmm. is in DuPont, and there's still a location there. Georgetown, Spring Valley, all in the district. In Alexandria, Virginia, uh, in Old Town, there is a location and out near me in Hyattsville, Maryland. (laughs) Uh, Those are the locations of Pizzeria Paradiso. And one of the things that makes this place unique among restaurants is its focus on craft beer, which is why Drew is here with us today. So each location of Pizzeria Paradiso has got like at least a dozen beers on draft. And all of these beers are made by breweries that fit the definition of independent craft brewery as defined by the Brewers Association. And uh, you're in charge of making all of that happen. So (laughs) tell us a little bit about yourself. When did you start working at Pizzeria Paradiso? How did you get into craft beer? Uh, Because, you know, we, we talk a lot to a lot of folks, obviously, and as we were discussing a moment ago before we started recording, there are a lot of different pathways to craft beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us your story. Um, I've been, been with Paradiso for almost seven years now in this position. Um, my anniversary will be in February, so that will be three years as the beverage director. Before moving to D.C., I'm from Maine originally. So I grew up there working in restaurants in the summers starting when I was 15, as you do. Yeah. Um, everything in Maine is seasonal, so... Seeing it as a legitimate career was kind of a difficult mental jump um, until I moved down here and it's year round and you have a 401k and all those wonderful (laughs) things. Um, But coming from Maine, I mean, good beer is kind of in your face all the time. Right. And it being kind of vacation land and sitting on the beach and sitting by the fire, beer was very appealing for that reason. And then moving down here and just seeing that it's, it's elevated to a whole new level of you know, people are caring about beer and food pairings. People care about trying more expensive large bottles or things that take a very long time to make, um, not just regular beer you can drink on the beach. Right. Um, so I started with Paradiso as a server back in the day, and then I did a little bit of bar backing, a little bartending, a little shift managing, um, and then the beverage director at the time was Josh Fernandes. Mm-hmm. Um, asked me if I wanted to help put away some beer on delivery days. Uh, So I started doing that in DuPont. DuPont's where I I originally started as a server as well. I started putting away beer and helping on delivery days and then kind of just like pulling every additional task that I could possibly fit into that like three-hour window of putting beer on shelves. And then the gentleman that was doing kind of the same thing in uh, Georgetown left and Josh asked me if I would absorb that as well. Um, so then the whole thing just kind of snowballed from there, and I was lucky enough to work with Josh for a couple of years. 
um, before he left and returned to Maine, where he's also from, <laughs> and he works for Oxbow now. Great. And then took on this role. So, so did you, when you were doing that and, and, and sort of taking on those extra tasks, did, did you have a plan? Did you really want to be, you know, were you just like working hard or were you hoping that you could, you could get into the, the beer side of the industry more specific, not necessarily at, at Paradiso, but were you aiming for sort of the beer side of the industry or was it just like stuff to do? <laughs> um, a little bit of both. I mean, I think I've always kind of just put my head down and work really worked really hard, and I'll take on as many things as I possibly can, sometimes to my own detriment. <laughs> um, so at Paradiso, it was the same. And then the I was taking on more and more, and the avenue that was the most interesting to me was the beer side of it, as opposed to, you know, management or being a restaurant GM. Um, right. And realizing that it was fun and all of those extra layers of things, you know, food pairing and elevating beer to a whole new level and staff education and things like that was really what did it for me. So it turned into beer, but it started out as I'm just going to work hard and try and do as many things as I possibly can. Well, cool. Well, you um, sound like you love what you're doing now. So Most of the time, yeah. yeah All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like any job. Um, uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit, sort of back up, and, and let's talk about Pizzeria Paradiso and, and why is it so beer-centric. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of what you know about the story? I know this was before you were in, in your role, but, but what sort of led uh, the, the, the company to absorb beer as, as something it really wanted to embrace? I think pizza and beer is a pretty, is a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, just as an overall blanket statement. And Many, many years ago when Thor Cheston, who's one of the owners of Right Proper, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was working at Paradiso, and there was a question he and Ruth were discussing what was going to happen with the basement space of the Georgetown location. Right. And Thor and Ruth went back and forth and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and um, they came up with turning it into a beer bar. Um, nice. be the first place in the city to have all these Belgian beers on draft and other things like that. So that kind of started and then snowballed quickly. Um, Thor left. Greg Jasker kind of took over mm-hmm. and really built everything up um, for about 10 years while he was with us. But that's interesting because I didn't know that, that, mm-hmm. that sort of the idea of a beer bar as part of the restaurant was, was sort of, at least in part, Thor's idea. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that Thor was, a, was much of the inspiration. So that's, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. And yeah, and cool. it started really as that one beer bar, whereas right. now I very much view it as like one large comprehensive beer program across sure, all locations. Sure. Right. Um, and for it to start kind of with the the second location, you know, it didn't <laughs> it didn't originate in DuPont necessarily, right. the beer program. Yeah, um, no, it was a Georgetown thing because yeah. I guess driven mostly by the fact that the space was there. Yep. What do you do with that the space? The space was there and like the bar scene was there 15 years ago. That's true. 20 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So now, like you just said, you you see it as one sort of large beer program across all what, five mm-hmm. locations. Um, how do you approach that in terms of thinking about five different locations, one big beer program? Um, do you look at these locations sort of independently and think about sort of what the clientele is like and what the what the beers work for them is? Or do you just sort of say – Here's what we got. Let's send these here, these here, and these here. Because if you look at the menus, 
it's not uniform across all the locations, right? If you go to DuPont, you're going to get a mostly different list of beers than if you go to Heightsville or Georgetown. So how does that how does that come together for you? Well, it's a little bit of logic and a little bit of just like throwing shit at the wall sometimes. <laughs> um, but for me, it's really important that the draft lists are very different at any given moment. Not stylistically necessarily, but like a diverse number of beers. I think of, there's this gentleman, his name is Matt. He's a regular in DuPont and Georgetown. He works in DuPont and he'll come into DuPont for a beer or two after work. And mm-hmm. then he walks home to Georgetown and sometimes he'll stop into the Paradiso in Georgetown and get a beer before he goes home. Nice. So I think of him and I want him to have different beers at those two locations um, while it still all makes sense as Paradiso as a whole. Right. And each location has its own personality driven by customer, you know, desires and things like that. Um, So there's a little bit of, well, I don't really think that this like super boozy weird stout would work here, but we should send it to Georgetown or we should send (laughs) it here or something like that. Right. Um, So there's a little cherry picking when it comes to things like that. How do you select the beers overall? Um, What's your process for sort of identifying beers to bring in? Do you travel a lot to breweries or do you work a lot with uh, with the distributors? Like what's what's your approach to, to making all of that come together uh, in terms of, okay, what are the new beers coming off the line? What are the things we want to bring right. bring on? And how much of that is is driven by, I'm asking you too many questions, <laughs> but <laughs> how, how much of that is driven by sort of here's the new stuff coming that we want to get yeah. and here are, you know, great beers that have been around for years that fit the definition, which we'll yep. talk about a little bit, but but that we want to keep cycling through. Is there a focus on sort of old versus new or balance yeah. of those? Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, all those questions you were saying, I felt like I could answer all of them with just like balance is what we're looking for. You know, so there are some things that don't sell a ton, but I think that they're important to have, like Orval um, mm-hmm. or your any of your other like Trappist Belgian beers that represent a certain pillar of the beer community, um, and standards. And then you have new things coming out. So you always want, we want to keep it fresh and new and have new things for people to try all the time. And even put old things on draft for them to try again, just as a little reminder. Sure. You know, Bell's Two Hearted on draft still disappears, so. It's a great beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is, you know. Um, It's funny how often when you spend a lot of time around craft beer, which I've now done for a couple of years. I mean, I've always enjoyed craft beer, but since since we started this podcast uh, and then and then added DCBeer.com into what we're doing, I spent a lot more time. It's not just sort of like me going and like trying a few craft. It's I spent a lot of time around it, and and it's important to go back and drink the beers that I loved two or three mm-hmm. years ago. I've, I'm finding more and more that sometimes I was talking to somebody and and. We were talking about how a, a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is a really good beer yep. that you should yep. drink once in a while, <laughs> um, because it's kind of like, oh, well, it's I've had that before, but drink it again yep. and and come back to it because it is a great beer and and it does help reset things sometimes when you get a little bit too. Everything is a hazy yeah. world. Yeah. But do you go out into the world to discover beers or are distributors bringing things to you to try and to think about? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I usually go home to Maine once in the summer and then once for Christmas. So there's always some good beer to try up there. Um, and then Erin, who's our assistant beverage director, she and I will go to festivals here and there. Mm. Um, so we went to Shelton Fest, which is in Buffalo, New York. We okay. ate some real buffalo wings while we were up there. Nice. 
Um, so things like that where you can just encounter a wide variety of things, um, new things you've never had before, and then making those connections and just kind of putting your name on their radar and seeing when they're coming to D.C., if they're interested in coming in a little early, things like that. Great. Um, but our distributor partners are pretty great, too, about here are the new things that are coming, this is what's happening, um, and brewery reps as well, just reaching out, keeping you up to date. So it's a little bit of everything, and it all kind of, most of the time it comes together quite nicely. So one of the things that Pizzeria Paradiso and, and you sort of establish as your boundaries for the beers that come in are that all of the beers that are found at all of your locations are independent craft, or made by independent craft breweries as defined by the Brewers Association, like we said at the beginning. Um, Tell us a little bit about why that is and how it affects the decisions you've made uh, about what beers are there and and what beers can't be there. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was a decision that very much aligned with the business ethos of Paradiso as a whole, um, supporting local, small, independent people where we can, and not just local, every, you know small, independent folks all over the place. Um, So that part of it made sense. And I think over the years, Paradiso had kind of always focused on craft beer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there were some, like, larger names that we had carried forever and all of a sudden, kind of out from underneath us, they had sold. And we had to kind of reevaluate whether or not they still fit in with what we were trying to do with the beer program. Um, Devil's Backbone is, like, a big one. Right. Um, That was part of the conversation. At the time, Ballast Point, you know, these breweries that we had worked with for a long time and had relationships with, which is important in beer. Mm -hmm. So we sat down and just decided that we needed to draw a line in the sand. And Ruth said to me, is this the right thing to do? And I said, yes. And she was like, well, we'll fucking make it work then. (laughs) So the way I like to tell my staff to think of it, because it's not we're not we're not like creating a page on the menu for, like, sellouts when it happens, and we're not, like, shitting on anybody that's doing that. It's just this particular thing aligns with us a little bit better. So I like to think of it as a Venn diagram, and one circle is independent beer, and the other circle is really good beer, and where they overlap in the center is where Paradiso wants to be. So high-quality beer that's independent, not just independent beer and not just high-quality beer. Right, right. So let's talk about some some recent examples sure. of of some some beer that fit that, and and I want to talk a little bit about how you how you handle it. You mentioned just a second ago that you know you don't sort of necessarily like put something out that's like here's what we're not doing anymore. But but give us a recent example of of a beer that you guys for that very specific reason, no longer an in, no longer independent according to the Brewers Association that you stop serving and sort of how you handle that in terms of what you do with stock and things like that. Um, I think the most recent example in the last week is New Belgium, mm-hmm. um, which we have a fair amount of their product right now in-house, which obviously they no longer fit the description as they have sold or they're in the process of negotiating. Um, so... I think when we first made this decision, we kind of we internally knew it was going to happen before it was an announcement. Right. Um, so we had the luxury of kind of just silently phasing things out on the menu and then making an announcement. And the things that were lingering on then kind of made sense um, right. that they were, you know, dwindling. So for us now with this, it's it's a matter of how do we kind of creatively 
get rid of these beers, not get rid of them, like dump them in the, down the drain, but still sell them. And there's a reason why we purchased them in the first place. Right. Um, we have a, quite a few like sa- sour bottles from them that I was particularly excited about. So it's a little disappointing. Um, <laughs> but it's a difficult situation because you have these relationships that you build up with people. You get excited about particularly limited release or sour things that aren't available across the board. Um, and you bring them in with kind of this expectation that you can sell them moving forward. And then to have a sale happen, it it does feel a little bit like, you know, the rug's getting pulled out from underneath you. Right. And I think, you know, this for Paradiso is a business decision. And for them, it was a business decision. So I respect it for that reason. But it is hard to kind of creatively navigate getting rid of it. And I don't, yeah. it's not about shitting on, on anybody. And right. it's not about criticizing anybody else's decisions. So... That's why we don't do the, all these beers are $5 now, get them out of here thing. Right. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to have it on the menu as a highlighted item moving forward because it doesn't fit within our beer program ethos. Sure. Let me change the topic a little bit, and I want to talk about when you're, when you're out looking for beers. How much are you looking to bring in things to D.C. that aren't widely available to sort of get those exclusives and be able to sort of have uh, offer your customers beers that they just can't get anywhere else? I mean, as much as we can. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, as much as you can take in inventory-wise. I also think it's important, like, balance comes up again. You know, right. we could stock all the shelves at all the restaurants with outside product or product that's not currently distributed in D.C., mm-hmm. but we like our neighbors. Right. So it's important to kind of keep those things in balance and in check. And at the same time, if even if something is super exclusive and it comes from outside of D.C. and it's not here yet, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to sell well either. Mm-hmm. So that right. kind of balance again of, I you know, we'll bring it in if we know that it's good, but you still have to sell it. Um, right. Yeah. To, you know, person to person sell it. Yeah. Well, uh, are there any – so obviously you spend a lot of time drinking beer, mm-hmm. trying a lot of beers, getting a lot of beers from a wide variety of breweries uh, and keeping up with the industry. Are there any any styles or trends you're seeing in independent craft beer that, uh, that, that you're noticing or anything that's particularly got you excited or even anything that sort of makes you, you know, makes your eyebrows go up or makes you roll your eyes? <laughs> I'm still continue to be excited by the low alcohol like lager movement that's happening. Yeah. Um, and just some like crisp, clean, drinkable lagers. Um, and then I think kind of piggybacking on that, people the pendulum of very high ABV IPAs is like swinging back the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that's you know, four and a half percent and you can drink six of them <laughs> rather than like, you know, feeling dizzy after the first one and it all goes to your head. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about that and I'm excited for the more session style drinking of mm-hmm. sitting with your friends and drinking a bunch of beers um, rather than sitting there and drinking one and feeling kind of loopy. Yeah. Let me ask a question about that because I, I, I'm with you on that. Um and as much as I like all of the various styles, there is something to be said for being able to hang out and have a few beers uh, as opposed to – a couple of years ago when we started this podcast and we would go visit breweries, we almost had to limit ourselves to like 
small flights because everybody was, you know, everything we were trying was seven and above. Yeah. And, you know, like trying to set up <laughs> for a podcast and do a podcast and break down, like, you know, we could drink a limited amount. And now, of course, we can we, we can go to a lot of breweries and we'll try some, you know, we'll sample some high ABV stuff, but then we can sit and record a podcast mm-hmm. with, you know, a full pint of of a nice Pilsner or a right. lager or, you know, even a low ABV IPA. So one of the things that I've noticed as part of that is that movement into sort of lower ABV beers is actually bringing a lot more people into yeah. into the beer world um, because a lot of, oftentimes the flavors in high ABV beers are so strong that there are people, if you're not a big beer fan, right, it's a lot to take in. Um, but I've seen a lot more people sort of getting into craft beer. Is that something you're seeing as well because of the the, the movement yeah. toward low ABV? I think so. I mean, I think low alcohol beer satisfies a niche that other alcohols don't. You know, you can't drink wine the same way that you can drink a 4.5% beer. Cocktails don't do it. You know, I mean, maybe if you make a wine spritzer, you could crush it all day. That would work. So I think it fits into that mold. I also think coming along with this lower alcohol movement is people being more conscious of calories. Right. Um, and those like 7%, 16-ounce hazy IPAs are pretty high. And oh, my content. God. Yeah, they're like a um, meal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So which is an interesting kind of swing back, too, for all of a sudden beer is like the low-cal option. I mean, craft beer, not like, you know. Right, right. Not like whatever, 64 well, or it, whatever it's called. Yeah, and it's driven by market um, very much because that is, I think, the one thing that people saw in craft beer is it's like, okay, well, if if, you're, if your beer is 7.5%, then you really are dealing with customers ordering one or having one right. or drinking one. And if it's 4%, you're selling two beers, and it might not be twice the cost, but you're. But re- from a revenue perspective, it, you're going to make more money if people are coming in and drinking th- three beers or two beers than if they're coming in and drinking one. Um, so there's a lot of logic from just from a business perspective, I think, in doing it. But I do think it does bring in the you know a, a larger crowd uh, of people who will enjoy it. That leads me to another question, which is not about beer. Yeah, seltzer. You're yeah, gonna ask me about seltzer. I'm going to ask you about yeah. seltzer. Um, what do you think about it? And is it something that you guys are gonna gonna start bringing in and considering? You don't. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to. But but what do you no, think about it? I think it's crazy. <laughs> I I mean, so I spoke on a panel like a year ago, maybe, and I was like very not excited about seltzer and was kind of like, "Ew, gross! No, thank you." Um, and I think my picture of it at the time was. Syrupy, sweet, mm-hmm. clear seltzer water. I just I don't understand the the finesse behind creating that, and right. I think I was like associating it with macro brands. Also, mm-hmm. um, I know some small craft people are starting to do it. This um, is true, even here in DC. Even here in DC, I haven't tried theirs yet, so I won't speak to it. Okay, um, they, uh, there are some samples waiting for me in Georgetown, I believe. Um, so I'm not sure. I think – I don't know if it's a thing that's going to come and go, like another trend that will come and go or what's happening. But I, f- I find it's interesting that that the boozy seltzer is very much being lumped into the beer category. Right. And for me, it does not fit the craftsmanship that it takes to make beer in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's 
a reflection of people wanting things that are in a can. You can drink it outside at the barbecue, but it's low alcohol and low calorie, and you can drink it all day. Right. So um, my hope is that the low alcohol beer can kind of compete with that a little bit. Yeah. And that it will start to fade away. But. Yes. Well. Or someone will make some like really crazy high end seltzer that's, that's like what, that takes this like whole refining process or something i don't know that's what i'm hoping for cuz i yeah. i've tried some um and i'm i have samples waiting for me too that <laughs> 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 i'm not going to get tomorrow but <laughs> it is I, I i agree with you i mean i think there's a market for it so if there's a market for it somebody's going to make a product right yeah. and i think that market is exactly what you said it's people who want to drink something that's low calorie um if it's done right it can be incredibly flavorful um, and as somebody who actually likes drinking seltzer, not the non-alcoholic yeah, yeah, kind, yeah. but like <laughs> I, I prefer seltzer to just plain water if I have a choice. You know, there's a market for it, and it's something that can be made. But in the end, like you said, I can if I can get a four percent beer that's got you know fifty more calories a glass than than a seltzer, I'd rather have the incredibly complex flavor and aromas that you can get out of that than just sort of like flavored seltzer water, which doesn't taste like it has any alcohol and you can crush it all day. Right, right. But it's it's a different kind of experience. And I would love to see the brewers who are experimenting with seltzer and starting to make seltzer for obvious business reasons. And and I don't criticize anybody for that. This is a business and and making money and providing the market with a product that the market wants is is what businesses should be doing. But I'd love to see some craft brewers starting to experiment with the the process to add, like you said, finesse and to add some complexity to what they can do uh, with seltzer. And I'd like to see them do it in a a fermentation process as opposed to an adjunct process. You know, like you can add all kinds of stuff to seltzer and that's great. But (laughs) but can you mess around with different types of sugars? Can you, you know, can you do things that make the seltzer a little bit more interesting and complex rather than just flavored bubbly water that have that have alcohol in them? All right. I've talked too much about my personal opinions <laughs> on this topic. Well, let's talk about some of the things that are coming up uh, as we move into the holiday season. Uh, this, If you're listening to this the day it comes out, it's the day before Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving. Um, but Pizza Paradiso is doing a lot of interesting things as we move into the holidays, and we want to make sure you all know about them. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is uh, you guys are partnering with DC Brow to add – a new crust to option, new crust option to your pizzas uh, pretty much for the next month. Yep. Uh, all the way up to, to Christmas Eve, the 24th of December. Uh, it is a brewer's grain crust. Tell us a little bit about that. So we've worked with DC Brow for this will be year eight of doing offering the brewer's grain crust across all the locations um, and using something that otherwise would be trash or cow feed, which is good too for the cows. Not, right. tra- not trash, not better trash, than trash. But, but there's a there's a there's a reason for this. Yes. Like it's not just because this is grain is out there. Um, yep. So yep. this so, all benefits. Yeah. So our third partner in this whole scheme is Bread for the City, um, which is a wonderful organization. So from the day after Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, like you said, across all locations, you can substitute this brewer's grain crust um, onto any of our pizzas. It's two dollars on a small and three dollars on a large. And then all of that money that gets made from that little upcharge goes to Bread for the City. Excellent. 
That's really, really cool. Um, and you guys do a lot of that type of stuff uh, and helping out local organizations. So another thing you're doing uh, coming up is give a can, get a can. Uh, if folks bring in a can of non-perishable food, mm-hmm. you give them a free beer. Yeah, free can of beer. That is awesome. These are happening all day at Pizzeria Paradiso in DuPont on the 12th of December. Yep. And then in Hyattsville on the 20th of December. And all the food collected is donated to Martha's Table, right? Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And they have um, guidelines online that you can check out before you come in to see what canned goods fit there. What, yeah, what you need to bring. Yeah, there are some like boxed pastas and other things like that that they accept, so we'll accept that that type of stuff as well. Sure. But nothing expired. And right, you know. right, no fresh. F- yeah, <laughs> yeah. no veg, like no that. fresh veggies. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great. And then there's uh, one other thing you guys are are doing right now that that we want to talk about. Tell us a little bit about this program. So um, all five of the Parity Cell locations have each adopted a family for the holidays. Um, so we're working with the Healthy Babies Project, which is another local organization. And each Parity Cell location is paired with one family that's kind of made up a wish list of things that they'd like for the holidays. Um, so all, for the gifts for the parents and also for the kids. And then our customers and staff are coming together at each location to bring those items in to donate. And then we will pull them all together and send them off to the families. So each location has a little Christmas tree someplace in a central location inside of it with a lot of little gift tags hanging on it with each of the different items that the family has requested. So you can, customer or staff or anybody... Um, You can come in and take one of those gift tags home with you, and there's information on the back about when we need the items back by. Um, And then bring your your donation item back to us, and we will give you a free draft beer when you bring in the socks or the adult coloring book or other fun things like that. That's awesome. That is fantastic. So that's three major sort of holiday-focused stuff that Pizzeria Paradiso is doing. All around uh, town, their Hyattsville location in Maryland and Old Town, Alexandria, and then the three locations in the district. So make sure you get to one of these locations, participate in as many of these as you can. Uh, and there's a uh, lot of free beer in it. There's so, a lot of free beer involved, so, so you in should there. definitely take advantage of this, <laughs> of the free beer. Well, listen, Drew McCormick, uh, Executive Beverage Director at Pizzeria Paradiso, thank you so much for joining me today on the DC Beer Show. We really appreciate your being here. We really appreciate all of the stuff you do to make sure there is amazing craft beer. Uh, in D.C. and to support uh, the local community, the local breweries, and all these great organizations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Remember, you can get all of the information you need about everything happening in the craft beer scene at dcbeer.com or on all the social media channels at dcbeer. Visit often and remember to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Weekly Pour. Have a great Thanksgiving and we will talk to you in December.